Hello and welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. Today on the RMR, as always, we're going to be talking about B2B go-to-market trends and elevating the operations position. But today we are speaking with Jesse Lezak. Jesse, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, thanks for having me here, Camilla. I'm glad to be here. I am, first and foremost, CMO of BDEX, which is how we met on the Deconstructing Data podcast. And then outside of that, I am co-founder of Reveting, and we have Whiskey Wednesday, which is a LinkedIn live event, as well as YouTube and Twitter. So, you know, I'm a busy person. Then I have two kids, and we have a lot of fun just hanging out here in Columbus, Ohio area. But looking forward to chatting it up with you about Revenue. Yes. Yeah, I'm stoked because as we found out on our Deconstructing Data podcast, we both have a lot of passion for uh, first-party data. (laughs) And I think we've talked about it multiple times on this podcast, but we're seeing changes in data privacy laws. We're seeing changes in privacy-first construction on the, particularly the browser side. And it's getting harder and harder to get those names into your database. But if you want to maybe talk a little bit about the importance you're seeing on your side. I know I touched on a couple things, but have you seen anything that kind of confirms our, you know, nobody wants to sound like Chicken Little, but we should probably be worried. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everyone has their opinions. We've made a lot of changes as digital marketers, you know, based on everyone's opinion on what they think data privacy is. I think, you know, we saw a lot of the browsers change early on, like Safari and, you know, Firefox, but now we're just waiting for cookies to now deprecate on Google, which they just, you know, push back again. I think it's like the fifth, sixth year. I don't know how many years now they've done that. So it's sort of like, well, not any big surprise that we're not going to, you know, deprecate third-party cookies on Google. So there's still that anticipation of like, what are we going to do once that happens? And I think the question becomes like, does that really help data privacy? Like what is data privacy and to who? I think it's interesting. There's a lot going on for sure and a lot of changes to keep up with. But I think one thing like that is for sure is that using your first party data, you know, be it on a political campaign, your first party voter data, your supporters, your best, you know, your donors, or on a revenue generating B2B company, you know, who are those highest paying recurring customers that are easiest to work with? Let's compile that data and understand those people and market to people who are more like those people. So that's the full idea is like use your first party data regardless of like everything else that's going on around us because you know, even if you can use third party cookies, I would argue that first party data is better anyway. Yeah. So touching on some of those browser changes and what they mean, Safari and Firefox, which has such a small market share, but Safari, Apple, iOS, much higher. They instituted some pretty restrictive rules around third party cookies. So if you're in marketing land and you're noticing and have been noticing for a while big changes to your digital advertising numbers and your tracking information it's probably a pretty good culprit what other ways are we seeing these changes impact marketers 
That's a great question. Well, you know, I would say there's still a lot of ad fraud and um, click farms and bots out there. And we're going to see like these bad players no matter what, but like speaking of regulation, like where's the regulation to like help with that problem, you know? But at the end of the day, that's what makes it cool about working at somewhere like BDEX, where we get to help marketers, B2C marketers clean up their consumer data. So then, you know, it's crazy how much you can save on your ad spend when you're actually targeting real people and not targeting bots or click farms. I mean, there's just a lot of crazy stuff going on out there. And I'd say ad fraud is something that I think marketers should keep an eye on because um, there's a lot of waste to spend there, but it's all just sort of side effects of where our attention gets placed, I suppose, within um, regulation. And you said something I love, which is um, first-party data is better. Let's talk a little bit about building that first-party database. So a lot of folks, we used to rely on list purchases. So the old way was find somebody in B2B who buys this kind of technology or does this thing and then just blast them with emails. It doesn't work anymore. Uh, what have you found that works when it comes to acquiring those net new names? Yeah, I would say build your brand. Dark social is a real thing. Build your network. Your social capital will help you build your financial capital. And so that's why we do things like podcasts and being active on LinkedIn and um, being active on Twitter and YouTube because it's a really, that's where the people are, right? And that's who we're marketing to. So we're trying to find exactly where our audiences are. And there's all these different kind of groups. It's crazy. It's like, I found on Facebook, these groups of media buyers, you know? And so like, there's all these different little micro communities now of your buyer. It's just your job to go out and find them. So yeah, I would say like dark social is a real thing and it works to focus on it and focus on personal branding. Like talk about empowering your team to be themselves online and also represent the brand at the same time. I think personal branding will only continue to be important, more important. Like look at things like Web3, you know, everybody will have their own wallet, it'll be associated to a person. And so I think personal branding just now and in the future is a really safe place for marketers and just revenue generators, salespeople to focus on. Right. And so many of those algorithms are really dependent on individual contributors piling on. So oh, man, they're always changing, it seems, right? Yeah. I mean, at least right now we're finding it's helpful to start with somebody with a large following and then pile on as a company, as opposed to start with the company and then have the employees amplify. Have you been noticing anything similar? Any tips and tricks out there? Oh, man. Great question. Because, you know, there is a lot of value in having a larger audience on LinkedIn because then when you get to post to that larger audience, you're posting to 10,000 people. Like, how much does that cost to get, you know, if you were going to run an ad? And organic's always better. So when it's your friend or someone you're connected with on LinkedIn, there's a little bit more of a meaningful touch there. 
and I think the goal is always to get people to come to you, you know, uh, at least from my perspective. Um, you know, so you talked about like building your list and is it buying lists? And no, I would say it's building your customer list in an organic way so that people who want your product will come to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I see, I see value as an enterprise organization with plenty of awareness and an established base focusing on acquiring customer, existing customer information and who the best buyers are and who's been really good on an upsell track. I can see a ton of value for that, but with new scrappy, small companies, and even the larger companies, but I see a lot of small companies developing a persona and uh, almost an an attitude on social that their employees amplify. It's it's become a little bit more human. That seems to work pretty well. Have have you all noticed anything similar? No, maybe not. Really. Like, I guess you're right. Like the satirical, like I'm thinking of you met, you're making me think of Chris Bogue who, I don't know if you follow him on LinkedIn and all, but he's like, he just does these satirical, like theatrical videos that are so totally sarcastic. They really do resonate well with people. So I think, yeah, you're probably right. Like, and then like the stuff Todd Clauser does, you know, he's hilarious. Um, and then Whiskey Wednesday, even to a big extent, you know, like people love to party in the comments, you know, and have fun. It's not a webinar, it's an event, but yeah, I think you're probably right. I think that people want to just laugh and have fun. And, you know, if people connect with people, not brands. So if you can get your people to connect with people like that, it helps close the trust gap and it works well for the brand. I think there's a lot of employers out there that make you feel like, oh, you shouldn't post on LinkedIn uh, because you're just gonna be trying to get yourself hired, you know, or like, <laughs> you're just gonna, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I definitely in prior situations and felt pressure like that even, so I know what it feels like, you know, where people are like, ooh, you shouldn't post on LinkedIn. Like, you know, lucky for me in 2012, I think it was, yeah, that election, I was still working in politics and I was working for myself, just taking different contracts. So I did whatever I wanted on LinkedIn. And then when I went into B2B SaaS, I was like, no, I'm gonna keep doing this. What are you talking about? You know? And so I've, I've been with B2B since 2015. I have to go back and look, I think it's 2015, 2016. And, you know, since then I've been really on LinkedIn and testing out all these different things in the beginning I'd say it was more spammy like making like four posts a day like total like output galore not engaging with people but over time you learn like it's all about engaging with the right people and adding value to them by in, you know commenting on their posts and, and liking their posts and I've seen social selling work like right within the comments of a LinkedIn post like people closing deals you know Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, that all resonates, particularly the hesitation to, like, I do a lot of satirical videos, and I was talking to my mentor about it, and I'm like, I, I, I don't know how that's going to impact hiring in the future. And he said, well, the right people will want to hire you, and the wrong ones won't, so go for it. I like your satirical videos. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, who is it? There's also um, Emily Between Two Plants or something like that. She's awesome. Another funny one out there. Who else do you know? So we said Chris Bogue, Todd Clauser, 
between two plants, between two house plants, I think that is the name of it. The sales bro. Sass bros? No, the sales bro. Sales bro. Okay. Yeah, my sales team. Corporate bro. They, corporate they love. Bro. They just love corporate bro. Yeah, there's quite a bit out there now. So we talked about the things we do to attract people in the first place. Once we've earned their trust and we get their data, what do you recommend as a marketer for building a strategy that that keeps people around? Great question. I would say focusing on quality over quantity and always engaging with your customers when possible and being a fly on the wall on those sales calls to know and I think it's up to the sales team to always be inviting your marketing team on those sales calls because it'll be to their advantage because when marketers can listen to those calls especially live like gun calls cool but like being able to almost be a part of the conversation in a lot of ways. Like they'll be talking about things. You're like, Oh, we have an article about that. Like here, check this out, you know, and, um, they can engage with you. Sometimes sales team doesn't like that, but then they should just communicate with you and tell you that. Um, I would say that like having communication is key, but marketers should always, like I said, get on sales calls when possible. I think that is, you know, overlooked a lot of times. Um, and, I think it's also safe for sales team members to, you know, create their own PDFs and be creative to some extent. And, you know, we all have different skills and different needs. Um, and it's helpful when we can all participate because then that's something you can send off to the marketing team and be like, Hey, this is sort of what I had in mind. Can you guys do something with this? You know? And a lot of the time, like the copy you get from your sales team is some of the best copy that you can find. You know, your job is just to make it concise and use it. So I think alignment is key in terms of communication because you're in the pipeline. I would say like having quality content or even seeing like Google, right, is making changes again. Uh, I feel like they did this to again. To be more conversational this time, less um, keyword driven. Exactly. More quality content, less like crappy content, which I think is a result of marketers just like having these like crazy goals of like, Hey, write five blogs a week. And then of course you're going to get, you know, really big fluff about whatever you're writing about. I, I have a book of my own that I never finished. It's like machine learning and advertising, you know, <laughs> like, so I need, you know, like we need to do a better job of telling stories with numbers. And like, I like serving customers or, um, like we did a survey of voters for this political campaign we were running. So we had their real attitudes that we could write about. And those quality pieces are more likely to land and get placed somewhere. They're more likely to be of interest to your readers who are actually going to learn something new. So I think it's all about creating quality content, going back, revamping your old content, and then also thinking about distribution. So where are your audience um, hanging out? You know, so are they on LinkedIn? For us, that's easy because we can target by titles or B2B, right? Job titles and industries and company size. Also Twitter and YouTube, I find useful. Um, I think there are still 2 billion people or something like that on Facebook, you know? So like love them or hate them, your audience is likely there if you find the right community or group that they're all chatting in. And I think community led is something that needs to be brought more into 
different strategies because people are on Slack, people are in these groups communicating in like chat room style, you know, uh, making real connections. And it's important that you have people in those places where your audience are so that you don't look like an ad and you look like real trustable people, you know, trustworthy people in there. But yeah, I think so once you have their data, those are all some pretty important things to consider. Alignment, quality content, and finding your audience for distribution so that you can repurpose your content as well. Like one piece can be several different posts in several different ways. It's all about finding your message and being able to repeat that message over and over again differently and creatively. And if that's satirical and you know theatrical, I think that's probably to your advantage. Yeah. Well, especially for smaller organizations. So really small companies. Way to stand out. Right. One of the problems I see a lot of times, and I know you mentioned this, is when you were first on social, you were posting like four times a day, not really interacting a lot with people. I've had to coach a lot of folks on my team who are used to building those domain authority building, SEO building pieces that are just crammed with keywords that when you're a small organization, you're already at a huge deficit when it comes to SEO. It is extremely hard to climb out of. So as your company is just starting and growing, it behooves you to do exactly what you said and find the pieces that people actually want to read and focus on quality over quantity and keyword stuffing. Because that's the only way you're going to get them to the website initially, even with long tail keywords you're not going to drag in a lot of folks. So I really like that point. And the other point I think I would throw out there is I see a lot of smaller organizations either because they're understaffed, they're very reactive and throwing communications out when requested or they're over communicating. So keep an eye on your unsubscribe rates and try to stick to a cadence and develop a cadence. So when people come to you and say, I need this product release announcement to go out, you can say, we have a monthly newsletter. It's coming out next week. What else can I communicate to them at that time? So it's all in one bundle, right? Does that resonate with you? Have you seen similar things? Absolutely. Just to your advantage to be organized and have those things prepared, of course. So we talked a lot about social video formats. I know we like the kind of rogue marketing. Uh, Do you still use email? Do you still use that first party data that way? I do. We have a newsletter. You should go to bdex.com and subscribe. Um, But like, it's just a data dive, right? So basically it's just a way for us to repurpose our content to people who are interested in receiving it that way. We only send it to people who subscribe and you know, but like, I am also a fan of what some people like Jesse Owlette does on, um, on outbound email, you know, there is a way it's an art and a science and some of it can be spam, but yeah. So I am more of an inbound email marketer and emailing people who want to be emailed by us and then keeping that email trail going throughout their product experience as much as possible. If that's how they wish to communicate, if they want SMS, like send them a text message. Like I'm all about like making it as easy as possible for the customer to communicate with you in whatever way is good for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Once you gain their trust and they tell you how they want to be communicated with, yeah, why not listen? 
Yeah, exactly. Jesse, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find you to network? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. So J-E-S-S-I-E is my first name. L-I-Z-A-K is my last. Find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM. would be glad to talk to you. Awesome. And where is the best way for them to find Whiskey Wednesday? Oh, Whiskey Wednesday is every Wednesday night live on LinkedIn on Reveting's page. That's Reveting, R-E-V-E-T-I-N-G. It's basically revenue and marketing blended together. And that is my full service agency with my partner, Eddie. We do full service dark social. Um, and Whiskey Wednesday is the podcast we do to promote Reveting and what we're doing there. But we bring on two guests every week and talk about sales marketing alignment. Maybe you can come on sometime, Kamala. I would love that. It's it's a frequent video topic of mine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We love it. We have a lot of fun. It's less about whiskey and it's more just about real talk on sales marketing alignment. We typically have done 9.45 p.m. Eastern time, but we're starting to do a few nights at like 9 p.m you know, for our yes. guests who don't like to be up so late, but yeah. And then we have an after party and we'll stay live until we get to 10 people. And then we hop over to zoom and do a Google hangout. And from what I hear from our audience, like that's where they get a lot of value is just engaging with each other. And honestly, there's so much knowledge just dropped. It's, it's crazy. That's so great. So for those of you listening who enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell two friends. It does make a difference. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com. 